BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. trash bags, we have gloves, we have um, things that we're bringing up there. So we have cars that you can get all of that out of. Um, Once we pull over, we're also setting up a couple pop-ups. Hacumba, California is a tiny town. You've probably never heard of it. It's actually really charming. There's a hot spring and a gorgeous hotel. A few stores selling art, trinkets, that kind of thing. There's a lovely lake fed by the spring. And on this sunbaked morning, there are about 50 people outside an old petrol station, nervously pounding bottles of water, applying sunscreen, and getting ready to head out to the desert to clear up the ad hoc migrant camp that has held as many as 1,500 people out in the open when Title 42 ended and Border Patrol made no plans to keep them anywhere. It was a diverse bunch of people hidden beneath sun hats. There's an Australian film producer who was at a conference in Orlando and booked a flight over, a grad student painter. The folks who own the Hukumba Hotel, who organise this whole thing. They're friends from the hospitality industry in San Diego. There were students and mums and dads and about the entire population of this tiny desert town. There were also two former international aid workers who own a tower where you can look at the desert, which is actually a much cooler thing than it sounds. And uh, there's also a museum of boulders right next to it. You should probably check them out if you're in the area. I spent the day helping out in Hukumba. After the refugees, some of them in handcuffs, have been taken by private contractors to be processed by CBP's Office of Field Operations. We met at a petrol station in the middle of town. The space where the pumps should be was filled with tons, and I do mean tons, of bottled water, masks, hand sanitizer, and other necessary supplies. When I'd arrived the night before, around 10pm, the eerie green and yellow lights reflecting from the roof had lit up the palace of water like some kind of giant lava lamp. 
Driving across a desert, the town looked like it was glowing. The town certainly has had a bit of a glow up in the last few years. Three business partners purchased the Hukumba Hot Springs Hotel, a down-in-the-mouth property that had once been a glamorous desert resort, and they've been restoring the place for nearly two years. Inadvertently, they also purchased a lot of land and a few other rundown buildings in a town that were sold as a lot with the hotel. It was in one of these buildings, the old gas station, that they set up a de facto mutual aid hub almost overnight. The hotel's not finished yet, and they probably didn't make much progress on it during the week when they were feeding more than a thousand people in the desert. The town's lake, fed by a natural spring, an old bathhouse, used to be attractions. Today, the bathhouse's roof has fallen off, but it still makes a pretty cool concert venue, and the whole town offers commanding views of the border wall, which sadly is only a couple of hundred yards from the main street. When I arrived in Hukumba, everything was close. The mini-mart was sold out, the hotel was still being worked on, and the hotel kitchen was churning out food for volunteers at the clean-up effort. I asked Marissa, one of the volunteers I met that day, about her first impressions on arriving at the meeting point. I was incredibly impressed by what the people of Hukumba and the the hotel group of individuals that have organized this. Like I, I couldn't believe seeing their donation depot in that old car wash just to how well organized everything was and and that they provided so much for the volunteers and and that just the level of love and compassion and was yeah it was an amazing opportunity to be part of very humbling i'd been there since late the night before after visiting border crossings in california and arizona and jeff one of the co-owners of the hotel kindly let me pull up my truck in some desert behind his house Now, I'm a person who enjoys sleeping outside, and I do it as often as I can. I try and camp at least once a month. But that night, I was cold, even underneath my down blanket, and I couldn't help but think of how desperate it must have been to spend nearly a week out there with nothing but a Mylar's base blanket and some thorny bushes to keep you warm. It's certainly not the welcome that one would expect from the richest nation on Earth, which had three years to repair for the day Title 42 ended. To get a bit of background on the town, I spoke to Natalie. So the previous owner bought it at an auction, and I don't think that the previous owner didn't realize how much he was getting, and he kind of just like neglected a bunch of it, you know, and then he he was older, and so he finally sold off the hotel. He thought he was just buying the hotel, but he was buying all the land as well. So they, when they bought the hotel, they acquired all the land, and they're actually putting money into it and fixing everything up, which is really wonderful. The hotel and lake and hot spring really are wonderful, but the scene that had played out there on the 11th of May was anything but. Within a short period of time, more than a thousand people of all ages and nationalities will be held in the open desert and left to fend largely for themselves. I'll let Natalie describe the space they're in. Um, there's lots of cactuses everywhere, so there's environmental, like, you to watch out where you're walking. Um, it's hot. It's hot in the day and really cold at night because it's the high desert. Um, there can be gusts of wind that can just take over, get dust in your eyes, um, your hair, everything's just, you're just filthy. I don't, lack of food. I mean, there's no resources. You're in the middle of nowhere. I talked to a lot of the volunteers, many of whom have been in the desert for nearly a week. They'd first been made aware of the impending humanitarian crisis late on Thursday night, when one of the people working on the renovation of the Hot Springs Hotel got a call about it. Within a few hours, the hotel's owners and all their staff were running what became very nearly the only source of food, shelter and water for more than a thousand people trapped and held in the desert by CBP. I spoke to Sam, another volunteer, to get a sense of the response. 
Now, Sam is a kind of guy who just looks like he's at home in the desert. His wide brim hat, boots, and long sleeved shirt and pants told me he'd spent plenty of days under the baking sun out here. And his readiness with an isopropyl alcohol spray to disinfect people's boots after walking in an area that was likely covered in human shit told me he'd been around one or two situations like this in the past. I spent uh, a great deal of my life as a second career uh, working for in developmental relief logistics in Southeast Asia, mainly working with large age organizations. For example, uh, World Food Program, Doctors Without Borders, oh, wow. UNICEF, many, many different places. Okay. In the context of that kind of experience, it's easy to understand why people come to the United States. But I asked Sam to put the situation here into perspective for me. It's understandable that folks came to the US, but why to a tiny desert town of 500 people? These people were radically unprepared for what they were going to go through because they were sold a bill of goods by coyotes on the other side about what was going to happen to them. You understand? So they had really no idea what they were getting into at all. Yeah. And so there, there was not anything in the way of life-threatening situations for any of those people in any meaningful way. A great deal of discomfort. Yeah. It could have turned very badly if these people here had not stepped up because the Border Patrol was completely overwhelmed. Yeah. And, and so there was never that bad of a situation here compared to what I have seen in other places in the right. past. As Sam pointed out, the migrants were now gone, but we were still surrounded by tons of supplies. But at the time, there was no way of knowing the scope or scale of the need. And people reacted as best they could. Actually, it was, it was overkill, but you had no way of knowing right at the time. There's just no way to know. How do you know ahead of time? You always ask for as much as you can get because why would you not? I mean, you never know. You don't know how many children with babies are on the other side of that wall right now. Might be zero, might be 500. You have no idea. Before anyone knew how or if this was going to end, or really what even was going on, dozens of people across the county decided to help. One of them was Katie. Here she is describing some of the volunteers she worked alongside. There was a hodgepodge of people and as volunteers, and leading it were um, some of the owners of a hotel out there. And... That was the main organizers. But who showed up were people from the town, um, people that I knew and recognized. Um, There were some really devout, like, there 24 hours a day, and then there were some coming in and out. But I met people from all over the county, um, and most of them answered the call through Instagram of the hotel. All those volunteers called their friends, who called their friends, who gradually coordinated a response. Natalie first became aware of this, as many volunteers did, through an Instagram post by Melissa, another of the three co-owners of the Kumba Hotel on Thursday night, just as Title 42 was ending. Natalie saw the post and decided to help. At first, she wanted to leave right then, at 1am, as soon as she'd seen the post. But after consulting her family, she decided to make her own post, asking for people to bring supplies that were needed. Soon, she was overwhelmed by the response. Yeah, I mean, immediately, even at one in the morning, I was getting messages because I posted it. That's when I posted the story. Um, I I immediately got uh, messages from friends saying, I'll bring a blanket over. Um, what's your address? Um, yeah, everyone just kind of rallied and started bringing supplies over. Collecting money as well. Um, some friends started collecting money and then bought stuff and brought loads of food and things to my house. 
Her husband ferried the supplies to Hakumba, where they were joined by donations from all over the county in the old petrol station. Like Natalie, Katie also saw a post and immediately felt compelled to help. She called a friend and some members of her family and set about raising funds and buying supplies. So um, I met my friend at a cafe, and in that, in the meantime, and I don't know how much of this is really important. This is great. Just keep going. So in the meantime, I text my mother and my two sisters who live on the East Coast, and just it was late at night for them, and I just said, I I would love for you to um, send prayers because. That's something that um, I believe in. I believe in prayer or intention and um, thought reality. So, and some of it was just because I felt um, so touched, like praying for the community that I love too. And um, the next thing I know, like my Venmo was blowing up and there was a thousand dollars in my Venmo sent from my family members and so by the time my friend arrived we were like let's go and we um, filled our car with uh, amazingly we found like organic there's grocery outlet right so we found organic soup for you know a dollar something a can and and we spent few hundred dollars and the next morning we met early and we stopped in El Cone on the way and we spent all the rest on we went to three or four thrift stores and bought every blanket and hat and baby carrier because um, we have both focused on um, motherhood in our careers. I asked the people I spoke to about a week later how the experience had impacted them. It was overwhelming um just the the way the community um really came around and supported um the people in Hakumba that were trying to help you know um after we finished cleaning up when I rode back at the gas station um the Amazon driver was delivering like I think he delivered 350 back boxes and so we had to open them up and sort them and it was there was so much food. Um, I think that they, it was insane amount of food, um, and it was awesome. It was really cool just to see how many people stepped up and donated. Unlike some of the people I saw in San Isidro, Natalie, Katie, Sam, and Marissa are not part of an NGO or a mutual aid collective. They're just people who wanted to help, and that describes most of the people in Hakumba. Although some of them did have previous and regular volunteer experience with excellent groups like Border Kindness. I asked Katie to reflect on the mutual aid approach and the absence of massive multi-million dollar organizations. Yeah, the Red Cross wasn't there, right? No, they weren't there. Um, we were told that the Red Cross couldn't come unless Border Patrol called, and Border Patrol told us that they weren't allowed to call the Red Cross. Yeah, that's a pretty standard. The one institution that did show support to people in Hukumba was one that you might not expect, given the support for this cruel immigration policy by almost all the Democrats in D.C. But things are different when you can see the results of these policies with your own eyes. Perhaps that's why I didn't see a single elected official in my entire week at the border. But 
One person I missed, but who everyone mentioned, was a lady who worked for California Senator Steve Padilla. I won't name her, as I don't have her permission, but hopefully one day soon we'll be able to interview her. I'll let Katie describe the role this woman played. There was someone from Steve Padilla's team, and that's the woman I rode with. And um, she was incredible. Her brother-in-law is the, the chef at the hotel. So I think, I mean, he, she might have came anyway, but she came faster. And there was co- true connection. And she stood up to the border patrol and said, you know, said, we're allowed, we're here on behalf of this senator. So, I mean, I saw some, like, um, head-to-head, like, arguments about our right to be there. Um, and most of us didn't weren't paying attention to that. We were paying attention to the people that we were, you know, around. And no one that was out there what didn't believe that we should be out there and that more help should be out there. Sadly, part of that familiarity with the system that this woman brought to the team also meant a familiarity with the cruel and arbitrary nature of it. Katie says that they had to organise for that as well. So um, my friend and I, we ended up riding in her truck. So in Steve Padilla's Senator Padilla's um, assistant's truck. So we had the opportunity to ask some questions that probably everyone out there wanted to know, including the migrants. Yeah. And it was like, what will happen? And um, what's the process from here? And how do you know that these people are being tended to? And I literally heard her on the phone getting as many bodies on the ground to start going to those centers where they're being taken to make sure that they were that that we would follow them through the entire um, process as best possible monitoring their well well cared for that they were well cared for as well cared for as possible yeah. in a system in a process like that yeah, but she literally said they're going to be bussed off and put in cages and that they would do their best to make sure that the, that no one was split up and that um, everyone was fed, showered, and um, they weren't allowed to bring anything with them. So a lot of the cleanup was all of... The things that everyone donated um, that had to be left behind, including some of the stuffed animals. For all the volunteers I spoke to, the chance to be of service was empowering. Here's Natalie discussing that. Yeah, I mean, well, like in so many times you like feel overwhelmed with like so much suffering in this world and like what can one person do, you know, and, and so... It did feel good that to actually see an immediate impact, like I'm doing this and this is the result. Um, Because sometimes you can just get discouraged, you know, like we're just one person. What can we really do? And can we really make an impact? And just seeing that and being able to see directly how that um, one person can impact, you know, can rally like just seeing how 
my friends came together, you know, went shopping, bought things, gathered money, collected money. You know, my really good friend, Sam, she um, went to her local bar after, after she collected a bunch of money, went and dropped stuff supplies off at my house. She was just um, down at her local bar and just chatting with them and like, oh, what did you do today? And so she told them, oh, I collected money and I bought supplies. And there, um, the people, she ended up collecting about 200 more dollars at the bar from people hearing her story. And so then the next day she went and bought more supplies and um, she actually ended up driving them out herself. She ended up um, doing like three trips just from her own talking to people and collecting. So just like the little impact that, you know, everyone just kind of coming together and making a difference. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. What up, everyone? It's Lunchbox from the Bobby Bone Show, and I'm here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car, like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive. You can count on your new Camry to get you anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In San Isidro, a pretty diverse range of San Diegans came to help. On the first night, I personally left at about one in the morning after spending almost two hours trying to leave, but needing to get charged phones back to their owners by 
loudly in Spanish, then French, then English, describing the backgrounds on the phone or the colour of their case. It wasn't a great system, and by the weekend, Cabra and others had seen that more help and organisation was needed, and they decided to plan a response. Here's Caber describing how they prepared for that. Yeah, yeah, we met, um, we met up at a, uh, a Target near my area, because I had already um, uh, uh, thought that, you know, maybe I'll, I'll just grab some, you know, I was, I was paying attention to uh, people I knew who were doing aid and what supplies they were saying was needed. Um, the particular store near me has, like, a wall of travel size, like these giant tubs where you can basically just scoop out 100 deodorant cans and toothpaste and things like that. Caber met up with some other members of a local mutual aid group. I'll make sure to include donation links for all the groups I've mentioned at the end of this series, so please make sure to listen right through to the end. I met up with him, um, and he had just received a bunch of donations uh, through, through mutual aid networks, so we, um, we noted even more of the travel size. I uh, got some tooth, tooth, tooth hygiene kits and deodorant and, uh, and, and a bunch of crayons and papers, because uh, the, the kids that are between the walls um, don't really have um, uh, much to do, uh, unfortunately. So, so that, those, were, those went really fast. Um, and so we, we got a whole bunch of bags of, of uh, all those kinds of supplies, and then we, we drove down to the border from there. By the time they arrived, various organizations had organized areas along the wall for different kinds of aid to be passed through. Everything from clothes to food to medical supplies and toilet paper was piled up and given out. People would show up with donations and, you know, organize the toilet paper, food, everything like that. And people would just come up to the wall and if their family needed something, they would just kind of point to it and, or, or ask us if we were able to, you know, if there was a common language there. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of, you know, gave things as people needed them. Um, I know that the, the, I um, helped give out some of the crayons and, and pads of paper and those were a, those were a big hit. Um, tons of uh, kids all came running over from the whole, all the parts of the camp when they heard that there was, there were toys uh, being given out. Um, so that was, it, it was, it was um, heartbreaking, but it was also, um, you know, it made me smile too. It, seeing them smile made me smile. Because of the need to use CBP1, and of course the need to stay in touch with families back home, there was a constant and overwhelming demand for phone charging. News reporters took phones back to charge in their cars. Some people bought charge bricks and power strips, and mutual aid groups wrote names on the back of the phones using painter's tape and sharpies so they wouldn't get separated from their owners. By the second day, it was a better system, but on the first day it was chaos. I'll let Caber, who spent a whole day charging phones, describe the system that volunteers came up with to mitigate that chaos a little bit. Um, and obviously they couldn't charge their phones um, if they're just in this kind of desert gap between... Um, between these walls that doesn't, you know, have any kind of amenities or anything. Um, so we had a system uh, where um, they would pass a phone through, and we had um, we would we would um, put a piece of tape on it with their name, and give them a piece of tape with their name, the same name, and then they would give us the if they came back a couple hours later, they give us the tape back, and and we'd match the names and put them on the phone. Um, and and that was it worked well enough. I mean, it was. Uh, still an extraordinarily chaotic process. I mean, we had we always had at least a hundred phones um, on our side of the wall at any given time, um, and and some people had um, you know some people had chargers, some people didn't. Some people had Android or Samsung or old iPhones, and, and 
Um, some people have wallet adapters and some people didn't have the, the wallet AC adapters. So we kind of had to, every phone that came through was we had to find a way to get it, you know, basically chained into the set of generators that we had, which was do we have enough power strips? Do we have the right cables? And, and, and do we have space on those cables? Um, and, and I think it was, it was a bit of a, a puzzle the whole time. Uh, the only part of it that really overwhelmed me was we did, um, overload, uh, someone brought a, a bunch of, um, uh, USB-C power strips, um, and we blew out one of them. Um, and so there was now eight phones attached to it that I had to find new spaces for. And I was just like, that, that was the only point where I was just, I was just frustrated by the, you know, the, the, this, this whole situation. Um, and in addition to the fact that, um, I'm just, the phones that were plugged out and plugged into that strip had been charging for who knows how long since that thing, since that thing short circuited or whatever happened to it. It was chaos, but it was a good natured chaos. Over the several days that migrants were detained in the open with no shelter and inadequate sanitation, just about two miles from the discount mall where you can buy cheap Ralph Lauren shirts if that's your jam, people showed up in ever-increasing numbers. The American Friends Service Committee helped organise volunteers into groups to distribute food, package up wet wipes, snacks, medicines, give out tarps, and do just about anything else that they could, or anything else that they could fit into Ziploc bags that could be passed through gaps in the wall at least. People who had been immigrants themselves, or who were the children of immigrants, were notably numerous among the volunteers. I spoke to one of them. Uh, my name is Lon Chai. I'm a part of Asian Solidarity Collective, a grassroots organization here in San Diego. Uh, I've, been, I've been coming over here since yesterday. Um, I came here around five, six yesterday, and then I came back through here this morning and been here since uh, I got home at 12 last night and woke up, dropped my kid off and came right back. With more supplies, I've been uh, reaching out to family, friends, and community to help uh, donate supplies and things like that, food, whatever, whatever they may have. And um, I've, I've pretty much been uh, driving around city and collecting from uh, from folks that can't make it, so I could bring it down here myself. So that's what I've been doing. Lunchai explained to me why it was so important to show up. My community, I'm pretty sure they they they're sympathetic to this because. Um, I'm coming from, a, I'm a first generation uh, uh, Cambodian American here in the US. And um, when my parents and my family fled their country, they went through this as well. So somebody somewhere came and provided the support, provided the aid, the donations for them to, to be able to, to make it to America, to cross over and, and able to, to, to uh, provide out here for, for me growing up out here. You know, so um, it's just, I, I just sympathize with it, with the whole thing. I mean. I mean, everybody should 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 feel the same way because somewhere down the line, our families went through similar situations. If you're not an indigenous, then 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 your family somewhere down down the history went through the same thing. So you know, they, they, everybody should have a heart for this and be able to come down here and and, and, and donate or, or donate their time or supplies, whatever the case may be. You know, come out and help. He also explained why he feels it's important to encourage empathy for refugees. Well, it's, it's, you, have to, you, have to, you have to be keep in mind there's, there's, there's families out here, there's, there's young children, there's babies. I mean, it takes a lot for, for, for a mother to pick up her infant child and to, to leave where she's coming from. So that just says a lot about where, what's going on, where she's coming from, for her to, 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 to trek and to go through this, to, to sit out here in the cold and stuff. Because if she would rather endure, her, endure this and, 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 and take the, the risk and the chances, that means where she's coming from is, 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 is not as, you know, she's willing to take that risk. Late that night, I saw an Afghan family come to help the other Afghan families. Their kids talk to other Afghan kids 
separated by the border wall. They passed crayons through the wall and colouring books, and their little daughter asked her dad if she could give her watch to the Afghan girl being held in the camp. Her dad said, of course. I don't record or photograph people's children, certainly not without asking, and I wasn't about to interrupt them, but it was a very sweet moment. The father of the family had worked in the Army Corps of Engineers. He'd been to the border before to build this section of the wall. I didn't really need to ask him how it felt to see folks stuck behind it, but it said a lot that he and his family had taken the time to drive down, buy bags of supplies, and then come face to face with the people who needed them and hand them out. Like dozens of other folks, they tried to pass whatever they could through little gaps in the wall to make someone's day a little bit brighter. Another volunteer who we heard from yesterday came from a local group called Pana. Hamira had been at the wall since five in the morning and it was getting on for 5pm when we spoke. I normally ask people what they ate for breakfast just to tune in the volume levels on my recorder a bit, but I'm going to include it this time, just so you can see how long her day had been and how hard she'd been working. Okay. Do you, what do you want me to say? Is that good? Tell me what you have for breakfast. I don't remember anymore. French toast. French toast. <laughs> My name is Hamira Yusufi, and I'm with the Partnership for the Advancement of New Americans, PANA. We're an organization in San Diego that fights for the full inclusion of refugees and um, those who come from refugee-producing countries. We spoke about the emergency that had kept her here all day. So in terms of this morning, I mean, I was, I was, you know, very concerned because there was an asylum seeker who had um, an emergency and was rushed out of this place where now, like, for example, where we are at right now is people who are being detained in the most inhumane po- way possible. This is going against CBP's own protocols and policies as to how they're being detained with no... They're not giving them food. They're not giving them bathrooms. They're not giving them basic, basic things that they need to survive. And so that's why the community is out here today to do that. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey guys, Rob Parker here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like the rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before or check out the fully redesigned Tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with the new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a Toyota truck you buy Toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com Toyota, let's go places Discover BetMGM the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for non-stop action all winter long 
Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sadly, not everyone who showed up at the makeshift detention facility was showing up in solidarity. Local anti-migrant activist and blogger Roger Ogden showed up. Now, Ogden might be familiar to some listeners due to his attempts to host what he called a patriot picnic and his advocacy for the removal of the historic murals in Chicano Park. Ogden organized gatherings in the park in 2017 and 2018, and they resulted in a huge and overwhelming community response to defend the park. And this time, Ogden decided to keep to himself. But... Natalie ran into some people who weren't quite as shy about their opinions. You know, a lot of the people in the Hukumbo community are, you know, lower income. You know, they are struggling in their own struggle on their And so I know, you know, maybe, I don't know, like for those people, I don't know, like, it's hard. I don't know. I mean, towards the end, like when I was walking to my car, um, this man, this man in a car like pulled up and he's like, excuse me, what's going on over there? And I was like, oh, we're gathering, you know, supplies for the asylum seekers. And then I, you know, like I, if you're from here, you kind of, or if you're in Hukumba, you kind of already knew what was going on. And so him asking me that, I was kind of like, mm. and then he just started laying into, um, I've had illegals you know, have broken into my house a few times. Why are you supporting illegals? And I'm like, we're trying to let, like, make sure that people don't die. And he just kept going off on me. And so he, you know, just the whole, um, everything, all the talking points that people have about not, um, um, allowing people to come seek asylum here. Um, and so I just walked away. Marisa didn't run into the same kind of vocal opposition, but she said in her conversations and attempts to process everything she'd seen, she ran into some of the sort of knee-jerk responses that people can only really make about immigration when they haven't looked the cruelty that they're advocating for in the face. It took me a little while to kind of work through just how I felt about it on an emotional, um, maybe spiritual level. Um, I, you know, I spoke with family and friends about it, about my experience, and and it's it's difficult to um i found it difficult to explain my experience because i don't know that somebody can really truly understand that unless they've actually been out there and done it themselves um because the arguments or or their kind of debate so to speak what they would come back at me with when i was sharing that is but we don't have 
enough food or housing to be able to support this that many people coming in and I'm like but we just had so many people and so much money put out there to help in a very short amount of time look how many donations were donated how much money was contributed in a short amount of time from not that many people I'm like obviously we do have the money obviously we do have the food so where's the where's the breakdown like is it our system that just doesn't allow for that to happen I don't know and that that's where I, like I don't I don't understand it enough but I feel like it just made me realize that I I don't know that anybody that I spoke to afterward really understands it enough either because their arguments or their defense and what they tried to share on the opposite side of me going out there and supporting just felt like it was just something to say, you know, and like what they, what they hear from the general media out there. And they, they also don't really, they can't quite grasp it. So they're just kind of throwing something out there, I guess, is what it, what it felt like. Kaba also ran into some less uncharitable San Diegans, this time down in San Isidro. Yeah. So, um, I guess, the first part is, is why they might have or how they might have found us there, um, which is there's a uh, a local uh, news organization in San Diego called KRSI, um, which is um, kind of a, I would describe as a local equivalent of something like One American News, which is really unfortunate because we already have One American News here. Um, uh, but um, they are, are, are pretty well known for um, kind of uh, a lot of like um, misinformation um kind of scaremongering about um and house people uh immigrants um vaccines and, and all that sort of sort of thing but with kind of a local news sort of aesthetic to it um and they were as far as i could tell they were really the only identifiable media that were there um throughout the day i read articles eventually that made me realize there were other um um reporters there but they were identifying themselves the way that hey was um but they had this one um cameraman just shooting b-roll i guess and he was walking to all the different parts of the wall and like all the different sort of stations for aid and and like trying to like really trying to get as many faces as possible um you can kind of tell that that's like what he was doing um everyone who i was around i was i was kind of you know oriented mostly with kind of the like um sort of like anarchist mutual aid uh, people um, and, and, you know, when they saw the KSI truck, they were like, okay, everyone needs to get a mask on, you know, and I still had in that in 95 with me. So I wore that and I, um, I had a, you know, slightly identifying logo on my uh, sweatshirt, um, which I taped over, um, so that, you know, that, that image wouldn't, uh, show up. Now, KUSI have drifted further and further right since 2020, along with their relatively minuscule viewership. These days, they engage in fake news culture war stuff, like repeating the recent false accusations that Target was making tuckable swimming costumes for kids, or labelling everyone in the asylum process illegal immigrants. It's sadly pretty standard for right-wing news organisations now. Kaber thinks that some of the people who saw footage on KUSI, or perhaps found the location posted on Ogden's blog, came down to the border. Like several hours later, that's like when we started to see people, you know, um, uh, kind of um coming by and 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 we could tell that they weren't volunteers because like people when people would drive like play people who weren't even necessarily volunteering would drive by and say like hey i just heard about and i brought a case of water and and they bring in the water and then they drive away but the people who are doing who were like here to i think you know kind of do some kind of intimidation where uh you know they wouldn't approach 
directly. They would just kind of get out of their um, exceptionally large SUVs um, and, and just kind of just kind of watch. Um, and they would kind of, you know, get a little bit closer at a time and then, you know, a little bit closer um, and kind of whisper to each other and, you know, point at things. And, you know, it's just kind of, they were just watching. Um, and, you know, they got close enough that I could read their shirts. Um, and and the, the shirts had a, a slogan that's associated with um, a Christian nationalism slogan. Um, so there's this whole family. It's kind of kind of sad that the kids were wearing the shirts too. Um, and and so I kind of um, yeah I figured out that that's what was going on. And I I never talked to them. I didn't approach them. But I stood when when I was you know, seeing them get closer and closer. I, I kind of positioned myself in between the rest of the volunteers and and this group. Um, and and just kind of you know didn't even really stare at them. Just kind of looked at them. Um, and, and just made it clear with my body language that I, like, I knew what they were doing. Like, they weren't, you know, they weren't doing any kind of secret agent thing or whatever. Like, they, they were being really, really obvious. And, and I just, you know, stood and, and positioned myself in a way that indicated that, you know, I know what you're doing and you're not going to get close. You're not going to interfere with, you know, what we're doing here. You're not going to come talk to anyone or you know, troll anyone or like whatever you want to do. Um, and, and eventually, uh, one of the people who was either a volunteer or worked for like one of the NGOs could definitely tell there was something going on. So, uh, she went over and, and had a conversation with them that I, I couldn't hear. Um, and eventually they decided to leave. Um, and, and I, I think she was just kind of trying to be diplomatic, but just sort of like ask them if they wanted to help. And if they don't want to help, then, you know, they could, you know, go be somewhere else, I suppose. Um, and, and I, it was, um, I mean, the, the sort of one uh, amusing part, if you call it that, was that they apparently the, the, the complained to this person about me uh, because they said that um, I had been watching them and I was um, I was racially profiling them uh, because they were white. And I realize now that this isn't a line this interview, but just for the listeners, I am very, very white myself. I think it's important when we discuss volunteering to honor how hard this kind of experience can be on people. Obviously, the trauma associated with seeing people brutalised by the state and capital is not the same as being brutalised by state and capital yourself, but that doesn't mean it's easy. I asked Natalie to reflect a little on children's toys we found in a shelter when we were cleaning up the camp. Like as a mom, like I have my own children and it just really, it's, it's emotional. It's like, it's just, uh, like, I'm like, who's, who, what child was playing with this, you know, here in this space and you know, that no child should be ever in, you know, an encampment like that, or it just, no one should be living outside. No one should be doing that. But also it's like, kind of like the humanity in a way, like that, you know, even a child's going to play wherever a child's going to play. And like that little toy of little, hopefully it brought that kid some joy in that moment, you know, if it was a little piece of home or someone gave it to him or what, you know, um, it was, yeah, the reality, it was like, a, it was like a person, you know, like a little artifact of someone who was actually there, you know, like it was a little more tangible than, you know, a sock, you know, that's not, it's not, I'm not thinking, you know, who wore that sock, but think of who, who, uh, who was playing with that joy, you know, was it a little boy, a little girl, how old were they, did they bring it home? Are they missing it? When they saw, when I saw they had that she needed people to clean up, it was like, okay, I took a day off. Um, of work and um, went out there and just felt 
it's overwhelming. I almost, I mean, just one day of me working out there um, was really emotional. I can't imagine how, you know, Melissa and all the people that were on the ground just dealing with it. And I know they're just struggling a little bit and just processing it all has been really hard, you know, really hard. It's just, it just, just how, how privileged we are, you know, like no one leaves our country because they want to, they leave because they have to, or they feel like they have to. And, you know, it's, I mean, just respecting and honoring and understanding the privilege that you're in and not taking it for granted because it's very easy to. Both Katie and Marissa said they don't really identify as political and that they wanted to be there as people. Sometimes, often, politics can become a complicated game of numbers and statistics, but it's important to remember that what this is really about is organising in such a way that we can take care of one another, and that the most important politics of all is the politics of feeding hungry people and maybe bringing a sad child or stuffed animal. Here's Katie talking about the community response. I think I'm a really compassionate person, and I'm not very political in the sense that like I don't really participate mm-hmm. um, uh, my life and my community's life is solution oriented so I saw like that on a large scale the so, like when people come together we create solutions when and you don't wait for um, someone like the government to show up and fix it because then people will die yeah. you know I mean that's the reality is if that community didn't activate there would have been a lot of dead people in the desert Katie shared with me that she'd been having a difficult time feeling guilty for not having the language skills to do more and questioning her own worthiness to be there helping but in the end she said she felt that what she'd done was right and important. I'll leave you with her thoughts, and tomorrow I'll be back to talk about the people who put everyone in this situation in the first place. The Department of Homeland Security. Um, I think an important thing is, like, so many times we hear about things and we say, isn't that awful? And we kind of shut down because we don't feel empowered or we don't know how to help and literally a smile makes a difference Uh, a a feeling of like I see you and you belong on this planet makes a difference and you know little kids packing up canned goods and fruit snacks for other little kids they didn't see those kids but when the adult said they're going to be so happy to get that package. They felt like they made a difference. And those little girls are going to grow up and not be afraid to step up and make a difference. I think a lot of people think like they can't do enough, so they don't do anything. And if we all just do a little bit or what you can, then I think we would see a a very large impact. Hakumba is a town of 500 and they just fed thousands, housed thousands, clothed thousands, hugged and welcomed thousands. 
of human beings. And those people in that town don't have much excess. And they made a difference. And I was proud to be a part of that community in the way that I'm on the fringe of it and it made me want to be even more a part of it. My feelings and intuition about that town were confirmed by watching the simplest action make an incredible impact on real lives and real people and that this isn't demographics it's real real bodies that have beating hearts and breathe and we all share the same air and the same water and we're all connected and when you make one little drip in the bucket it actually does make a difference and I think that stops us sometimes when we think what we have isn't enough to give but when someone has nothing what you have is more than what they can imagine It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places.